So before we get into the uh, main episode, um, this main episode of Ace Comicals, um, I'd like to take a minute to talk about Stan Lee um, in light of recent events this week, Stan Lee's passing, um, and how his work, along with his collaborators, has touched our lives and what his work in comics has meant to us. I'm sure we're all saddened by Stan's passing. Like, obviously, as comic fans, we know how important this guy was to making comics into what we have in front of us today. Basically, it was it down to him and his collaborators um, that that we have what we have today, basically, is the best way I can describe it and put it into words. Um, and I think you guys might echo that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's always sad when when anybody passes and you know especially a creative who has touched so many different people i don't think i had quite a deeper connection to his work as maybe you guys did because you grew up reading you know all these marvel comics so i'd like to i'd be interested to hear what what you guys feel yeah i mean despite um what we know he's done and and allegations and things like that that are surrounding the man even after his death that the the thing that we can't deny is is that he was like a primal force in comics and that stan's work and lasting legacy is a vital piece of the puzzle that is comics today and the reason many of us hold comics and character these characters so dear uh and the reason many of us you know became so enamored with comics was was what he did to kind of humanize superheroes and things like that to give them more of a um to to sort of like ground them a bit more in reality and and show that they are they can be flawed people just like us kind of thing is what he did with his writing rather than to have them shown as the perfect ideal all the time which i think was the uh, the time that was the, the kind of thing uh, superheroes were an ideal and they you know they were always good and they never faltered never failed but stan kind of brought it down to earth a little bit and put what well, thought well actually you know superheroes can be just as flawed as us and he gave them you know very human worries very human flaws very you know things that that we struggle with in life and things like that which i think helped us kind of connect with these characters a bit more and ultimately cemented them their place in our heart along with that you know his his um his collaborators, I mean, like, uh, people like Jack Kirby, Ditko, uh, Bill Everett, these guys, along with Stan, kind of shaped the superhero genre into what it is today. And I think a lot of other, um, I mean, like, even, I guess, DC Comics and things like that would have taken a cue from their work and and used that to kind of shape their characters in a similar vein and I think that's that's you know that that's kind of his legacy. That's what he that's what he leaves behind. And I think that's why his work has resonated with us and why we feel it so much when he's gone because that's what he did and that's how important he was to comics. Yeah, and it's um, it's like it's hard to overstate um, like his influence um, on like international global mainstream media now um like from whether you're speaking about the newer comics or any adaptation since or obviously the mcu which is um culture juggernaut globally 
Um, I think one of the reasons people connected so well and still do to characters that were created in the 60s and earlier is because, as Greg was saying, they 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 had this texture to them, the characters. They were, like, real. Uh, as you said, like, they weren't these um, myths and legends of gods, say, like, uh, in DC comics, but instead they were normal people who, through some sort of weird scenario or some, like, um, defining moment, uh, gained a special ability and then used, used that ability to help other people. And I, I think it's... Um, there's a lot to be said about um, having these characters like be in, in pretty much our world. It's not like Central City or Gotham or something. It's New York City that, that uh, the majority of them uh, come from. And I think that helped a lot of these characters... Um, resonate with um so many people um globally there's just just a thing to be said about um seeing yourself um as that hero um being able to fantasize about getting bitten by a radioactive spider yourself or taking a a um a, a serum to make you like super powerful but the, um still being quite human um, and I, I think, um, yeah, it, it's 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 weird to, to think because I think a lot of people say like Gen Z and maybe some millennials, um, their exposure to Stanley would have been through cameos in 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 the films for the last say um, almost twenty years or and longer. Um, uh, but it's. Um, yeah, it's it's weird to to think that um, someone who we we, we know is old, uh, but he, I don't know. Stanley felt like he'd be around for forever in in some sort of weird way. Yeah, it's in that way that I equate him to, I suppose, the Queen of the British royal family. Like he was the <laughs> constitutional monarch of comics. No, I and, totally see that. I, yeah. It's part of it comes because of, like, a lot of people's exposure, like, first exposure to him was at an old age. And that's sort of a timeless, yeah. it's a timeless look. In, in the same way that the Queen has felt, like, timelessly old, you know? Um, yeah. So you do expect him yeah. to, have, to have been around forever and to stay around forever. I mean, you know, it's... that's it. We can't imagine, like, in in Britain at least, I don't think we can imagine, like anything past the queen because the queen's been there for our entire lifespan especially our generation hmm. and the queen's sort of been old for our entire lifespan and like it's that kind of feeling where you know she's she's just there and she's just like a an infinite part of british culture uh, like like stan w- was just there and he was like an infinite part of comics if that makes sense um and yeah, like uh, to build on what Leon was saying again, yeah, he basically turned the superhero genre and into the sort of like evergreen fertile garden that we have now, I guess, is what he helped shape that. He helped cultivate that. One of many gardeners, as I keep saying, but yeah, he helped. Yeah, but hmm. yeah, I, th- I think um, I'll go into it shortly, but I think 
uh, one of his sort of individual strengths is him as a salesperson for um, comics and superhero comics. I think that um, as well as the, the writing and his hand in the character creation, um, I think what endured was uh, his ambassadorship of of comics because I think he's uh, intertwined with the very idea of of comics for to 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 the mainstream. Well, yeah, in I mean, a way, hmm. um, and he and he sort sort of made it his brand. And uh, I think there was a lot of uh, like good to come from that because it sort of um, uh, it, it made it so you had this figure who was um, who retained the sort of uh, sort of one of the, the I don't know the the central feeling that of yeah. like fun that comes from comics mm. and uh, the endless possibilities. But then the dark side of that it, it comes into questions about um, credit and um, not attributing credit and taking too much credit, um, yeah. which um, um, dogged dogged him uh, for a long time and uh, caused lots of um, uh, divisions um, yeah. with um, his uh, previous uh, collaborators. And yeah. Uh, it's, it's yeah, it's definitely something that. Uh, like should be highlighted because it's um, it, 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 I think from what, from what I used to see from interviews and, and things, it always seemed like like obviously you can't read people's intention or whatever and, um, but like I think in his head he didn't think he was um, trying to screw people I think in his head he really thought that he was sole creator of these things, and these people were ju- just people who came in and did the art and blah blah. But considering uh, he was at the forefront of the Marvel method, which is um, where uh, the writer basically doesn't outline, yeah. and then the story is pretty much told by the artist, well, and then the yeah. writer comes back at the end and adds in um, dialogue. Yeah, in- interesting thing about that, it was the success. I mean, that method was kind of already around before those guys. It's just the fact that they had so much success with it. That's how it became the Marvel method. But like, yeah, I I, I get, yeah, the, the fact that, I mean, that the issue of, of him taking far more credit than what was, what was deserved and things like that for, for his creations and stuff and his work is, yeah. I mean, we, we, we've mentioned it probably before on this cast when we've talked about uh, Jack Kirby and things, um, specifically Jack Kirby. Um, and and recently Ditko as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, let's just, just run through of the of the different sort of like the things that, that we have because of Stanley and his collaborators. So with Kirby, he gave us the Hulk. He gave us the Fantastic Four, Iron Man, Thor, X-Men. With Bill Everett, he gave us Daredevil. With Ditko, we got Spider-Man and Doctor Strange. And like all of those men are equally as equally responsible as Stan for those creations, one hundred percent. And it, it it does need to be highlighted, like you said. But but I don't. It, yeah, like when you when you watch the man, when you watch Stan Lee, you don't necessarily. He doesn't. It doesn't look like he necessarily feels like he did anything wrong. Um, but 
also there's the fact that he he was now a brand so so he like he he was part he was part of marvel and stan lee is a brand so he's he's helped he he became part of a brand and he was basically being a label a brand for comics by by that point yeah and it, it, it is interesting to think as a whole because um there's uh there's a great article that we'll link to in the show notes is um vulture um and it's by um abraham uh Riesman, and it's uh named it's an obit um and it's uh, named stanley gave more than he took um and what the article does or obituary does really well is that it delves into uh some of the main um like the complicated sort of history of of the man, and um, it's really good because um, the the main sort of uh, focus of it is um, yeah, like um, Stanley took too much credit um, for the things, but then I think it, it dovetails to like, but he uh, gave more credit that uh, he deserves more credit than um, is given to him. Because uh, you do get sort of that kickback where people just be like, Ditko did everything, or like Kirby did everything. Mm. Dan was just there, and it's like it wasn't quite that. It was more a case that uh, Stan uh, put uh, took sole credit for for writing, um, and um, uh, and like didn't didn't give his, uh, the, the the people his collaborators the credit they deserved. But it's not like he didn't contribute anything. There's a lot of um, great, uh, like character creation, and um, a lot of great writing in in the comics um, uh, that he uh, did runs on that um, contradict that that sort of knee jerk um, um, kickback. And as we've been speaking about his um, uh, his sort of almost ethereal. Um, place as sort of this uh, uh, comics uh, ambassador but it's weird to think like um, with MCU making uh, Disney just billions and billions and billions Mm. and off a lot of characters that uh, like uh, he co-created it's it's so weird that um, like he he, while he's like executive producer on a lot of these and gets credited like He's not really making the money that uh, someone who co-created. It's not like he's not making J.K. Rowling money off the the things that he created. And it's like um, it goes back to things that we've spoken about in the past with like comics credit and yeah. Now that it's a, a multi uh, media business and a lot of that money's being made in merch and um, the films. Mm that um, the people who, who put these things into fruition are, for lack of a better word, getting fucked. And it's, 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 um, it's quite sad because like, the article itself, and uh, I mean, I've seen with my own eyes um, uh, Stanley being down as a guest at like, various expos and conventions and stuff and yeah. uh, doing signings. And it's like, one could argue, uh, obviously, if he wanted to be there and meet the fans and stuff still, which from, from what it looked like, he did. But also, it's like it looked like also it was a genuine like money avenue, and it's like well, yeah, considering this, yeah, 
I mean, this is the guy who uh, created characters in some of some of the highest bo- uh, co-created some of the characters in some of the highest uh, grossing movies of all time. Yeah, it's uh, it's curious. Yeah, it's an interesting dichotomy, isn't it? Because like he's a like to what you were saying earlier, he's he's become the ambassador. He's like the friendly, joyful face, like the fun-loving face of comic books. And I mm. think it's it's taken comics into it's given the mainstream audience for comics like a a positive face to put on comics whereas previously maybe it was you know there was like pejorative words used when thinking about comic books it was like a nerdy it was a isolated hobby whereas you had this guy who who made it seem fun and made it seem vibrant and made it seem interesting and then like i'm i'm not someone who's that precious with my heroes so i don't think i think a, when a person passes it's as good a time as any to sort of look back and reflect on their behavior and like, you know, the best parts and the worst parts and maybe move forward using the knowledge from, you know, from that reflection. And like, so if you look at like for all, all the misgivings that we're talking about with, you know, having uh, maybe not given enough credit, but also, you know, giving quite a lot back. If we look at the messages he was trying to send through his stories, there's a lot of good there. And like, people aren't perfect, you know, like nobody's perfect. And maybe, um, the way that he went about certain things wasn't reflective of the ideals that he was trying to put into his work. And that's, I think that's a really interesting thing that makes somebody very human. And like, I don't know, I, it makes me want to learn mm. more about what made him tick yeah. and, you know, what misgivings he may have had in reflection upon his actions or, you know, and how yeah. it affected the people around him. And, and also how how having this story told and having it be spoken out loud that, you know, he had his he had his mistakes and there were you know the the good came with the bad how it'll affect creators and authors and writers and illustrators and you know publishers going forward because he was such a big figure and he had so much influence mm. well like i say his his piece in the puzzle and and his work inspired generations and many writers and artists that we have now are only doing what they do because of what they read as kids which is mm, down yeah. to this guy. And and to mm. like kind of sum up what you guys are saying, it is a weird thing when the tree is, when the, the like the fruit's worth more than the tree, hmm. which is kind of, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of weird, <laughs> but there we go. <laughs> but let's not give too much disservice to the tree as well. Yeah. Because it yeah. was a pretty, pretty glorious tree. Yeah, you know, when, and it's when weird it when the fruit's be. worth more than the tree is what I was trying to say because it's like <laughs> yeah, 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 no, I know. yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like to not to just to highlight on something that uh, you were saying, Rahul. Um, mm. Yeah, like I'm I'm in the same way, and I think that um, it's always good to be able to uh, take full stock of um, a person's cultural uh, influence and. Um, take full stock of their life and and the good and the bad and like uh in in my opinion it's never really like uh, a bashing thing to to consider uh some of the negatives i mean mm. we haven't even really touched on uh like the uh sexual misconduct allegations that uh, that came out but like it, it, i think it's happened it's a phenomenon that um is quite constant. I think it's going to be more and more constant where um, people are, are quite multifaceted and like there's a, 
a lot a lot of good but as you're saying nobody is um perfect and that's not to take away from um uh the uh the ills that they've they've done Mm. um, i think it is a good way to um humanize people in a way Mm. um away from being sort of lofty legends and actually bringing them back to the people that they were um and like um one of my favorite things that's been happening in the, in the wake of um, uh, his passing is a lot of people have been like tweeting and posting up um, images from like the Stan soapbox. Yeah, um, and like it, it, was, it was, it's great to read, reread, and read for the first time some of these which are posted up uh, like in the the sixties, seventies, um, uh, talking uh, quite frankly, especially for the time. Um, about things like um, like race and all that, and um, uh, it, it, it's um, like there's a there's a there's a lot of like like uh, sort of stereotypical and negative things uh, like in terms of characters in the comics, but at the same time, uh, on maybe on a, operating on a, on a different wing, we got like loads of like really inspiring characters and um we had the x-men which is uh which is tackling some really interesting things uh, considering the times um we had like first black uh superheroes first uh, african-american superheroes like i think um like you had like teams of people from all over the world in uh, working together with uh, with one cause of saving the planet yeah. so like i i, I think that um the the legacy left behind uh, will always be like a controversial one, but there, there's there's no doubting the uh, the positive influence um, that uh, that Lee and uh, his um, collaborators, especially uh, people like uh, Kirby and Ditko, like there's just no there's no discounting really the 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 impact. Um, mm that they they've they've had yeah and well like you're saying yeah some of what they tried to do at the time was very ahead of its time i mean like other things that that sort of come from stanley's work that he's kind of responsible for as well you know that the credit panel in a comic <clears throat> where it gives <clears throat> you like the writer and editor and everything else that's that was that was him that was his idea like um the way comics engage the readership so like you know like letters from the community from fans and things like that and and actually you know having them addressed to the writer or the artist like people were addressing letters as dear jack and dear stan and things like that instead of just to the editor and things which is is again something else that he's partially responsible for this sense of community and everything else in the in comics is something that stanley kind of fostered between fans and artists and creators and um yeah that's you know that and regular news as well from like like the you know like in in the backs of comics you get like the the um the bullpen bit the marvel yeah. bullpens yes that that's like the regular news stuff the bullpen bulletin or whatever that is all that that you know that's the regular news from comics like when you read the back of a comic and you get an advert for another you know this is what's coming next we're expecting this this is like that's all from you know that's all through him he's kind of like built that um, and as I keep coming back to the fact what we have today is kind of largely built on 
the shoulders of what him, he and his collaborators did back then. And he was a vital part of that. And we can't take that away from him no matter what. It's, you know, that's just how it yeah. is. Yeah. I think that there's, there's, there's a great quote near the end of that Vulture piece where it's um, discussing sort of uh, the, the relevancy, uh, especially in later years. Um, and it's asking a question, um, like, was, uh, was he needed? Um, and, um, like, the final part is, uh, but did we still need Stanley? I'd say yes. He was a link to the earliest days of the American comic book. He remained one of the best showmen in the culture industry. His story was a constant testament to what comics and superheroes could achieve in the marketplace, as well as a reminder of the ways that marketplace had failed so many of his co-workers. His legacy will have asterisks, yes, but he gave more than he took. He was an American original, boldly facing the future when others would have slunk into mere ruminations of the past. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I know that it's kind of documented that he always kind of wanted to write a novel, like I'm sure, I'm sure he's probably talked about at times. But um, he had this whole thing, like, you know, obviously he wanted to write the great American novel. I think Marvel was his great American novel, to a degree. Uh, hands down. Yeah. So that is Stan Lee, um, 1922 to 2018. Welcome to Ace Comicals episode number 49. So we've uh, fair bit in between the last two weeks. Obviously, we've had the the death of the constitutional monarch of comics, Stanley, which uh, we've talked about in the preface to this episode. And um, we're all very saddened by that. Um, but also there's been a lot of positive things as well. Uh, a lot of cool things to read, a lot of cool things to do. Um so I'm joined today by my usual co-hosts, Rahul. Hello. And Leon. Howdy. Yeah, so guys, um, what have we been up to in the two weeks since we talked ad infinitum about Sabrina? <laughs> God, was that two weeks ago? It doesn't feel like two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, two hours and 40 minutes of Sabrina. That was a long episode. I think we're still recording it somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it felt like... Two hours and forty minutes ago that we, that we talked about it. Um, what have I done? I've uh, oh, it was Diwali last week, so yeah. <laughs> I celebrated Diwali with, at home with my family. Um, it was also Anna, my girlfriend's birthday, on the weekend after Diwali. So we had a bunch of her friends over at home, and we had like a big Diwali slash birthday celebration. That was really good. Did loads of fireworks, had loads of food, uh, you know, played a few games. Yeah, it was a good weekend. Cool. Um... I bought a Nintendo Switch. <laughs> Just as celebratory as, as Diwali's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I I went out and bought a Nintendo Switch and um, 
I got a copy of Mario Odyssey and it arrived yesterday and it's still in its box. So after this show, I will, after recording this show, I will be unpacking that and giving it a blast. Um, docked or undocked? It. Um, docked. Docked. Okay. I'll undock it when Sophie gets home so she can watch Netflix. I'm quite um, excited for you because Super Mario Odyssey is a really good game. Yeah. I think and you're going to dig it. I am completely unspoiled for that game somehow. Like being, you know, being a Nintendo fan and following the people I follow on Twitter and stuff like that, you'd think I would have seen stuff, but I haven't. Like I've the all I've seen is Mario and Bowser in white tuxes with white top hats. That's it. That's <laughs> all I know about that game and and hats, I know hats. I know there's hats. Lots of hats. Yeah. yeah. So many hats. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I don't know an awful lot else about it and it's quite exciting. Uh, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting into that. Um, and it's like it's, it's something that I've managed to stay unspoiled organically as well, because it's not like I sought out spoilers because I knew I wanted to play it when I eventually could. But it's not like I've actively avoided it either. <laughs> but somehow I, I just managed to. It's kind of cool because, like, I, I wouldn't normally think of Mario as a thing that you'd have to worry about spoilers for. But there's a lot of, like... I don't know, the, the environments you end up in and the stuff that you get yeah. to do that are kind of, like, there's a lot of fun surprises in that game, so I'm really glad that you haven't had, like, mm. mechanics or particular scenarios and stuff ruined. Well, that's what I mean. That's that's the thing for Mario, the mechanics and the yeah. scenarios and the world, like, the levels, you know, mm. stage designs and stuff, so I, I don't know anything about any of that, which is kind of cool. Mm. Um, and um, I've been playing some more Crash Bandicoot because I've finished spider-man I, I got to 100 well I, I didn't get to 100 yet but i finished the story i've got like three things left to do or something like that um and i started the dlc i've been doing the black cat dlc oh cool the heist okay. yeah which is really cool and i think the hammerhead dlc is live now as well oh sweet see so, i platinum on the main game but i haven't yeah. had a chance to play the dlc because i gave the disc back to my friend who i borrowed it from yeah um so i don't know if i'm going to get a chance to do that anytime soon but yeah yeah, maybe I'll just look up a Let's Play of the story or something. I went full season pass when I bought it, so I'm like... It wasn't out, the DLC wasn't out when I yeah. finished the game and handed it back, so... Mm. Yeah, so I'm I'm into the DLC now and it's pretty cool. And it's quite, it's quite a, a good chunk as well. It's not just a main mission, there's lots of other bits to do. Okay, like, are there more some, collectibles? Yeah, some side stuff, there's a lot of side stuff to do again, which awesome. is kind of cool. I just want to... Yeah. I just want excuses to swing around that city. Yeah, yeah. And I want the rest of the DLC and then I want a sequel. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's really good, yeah. Um, And I think I already told you guys my feelings on the ending. I'm not going to spoil it all for everyone who's listening to this cast in case you haven't played it. But I felt like it kind of tapered off a little bit and went... I I I feel like it was kind of flat. Like, I mean, I know they're setting it up for a sequel, but it just felt, felt really flat for me. I don't know And why. I think I think I felt quite the opposite. Mm, <laughs> I had yeah. a really good time with the ending of that game. So. Yeah. I think I think I overhyped myself. I think I expected too much. But yeah, it was cool. Expectation was cool. is a killer. Exactly. So, yes. Yeah. And I think I need to I need to sort of like maybe go back and have another take on that. View the lens through a lens of, you know, knowing that it, you know, I can't I'm not going to get everything because mm. I felt like, you know, like it, it, I I the game was spoiling me. And then by the time I got to that point, I was like a spoiled brat. I was like, <laughs> where is it all? You know, I think I get what you mean. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but that's on you. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, 
but yeah, it was it was yeah, it was cool. Um, and then I've been playing Crash Bandicoot again as well because I've decided finally plucked up the courage to dive back into that Crash Bandicoot remaster and try and finish my dinner. Um, yeah, isn't that isn't that game savage? Oh yep. man, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, have you ever played the originals? Yeah, yeah. Do you, but I've you heard know, the remake was yeah, savage. You know how he's got butter shoes in the originals. Mm. And this, he's got oily butter shoes on ice. <laughs> like that's that's how it fits. You know, like trying to play a platformer when the guy's just sliding around, and then they've got they've got the like obviously you know like there's ice levels in Crash Bandicoot. The, the, the cheek of the actual ice levels when it already feels like you're skating around, like trying <laughs> to jump from platform to platform. It's just it's just horrific sometimes. But you know, yeah, I was I was reading like. Um deconstructions of like how the gameplay worked in the remake and it's it's almost it's kind of crap to call it a remake if they've made it harder by virtue of like the way the mechanical system running the game works yeah because apparently in the old game like he had slippery shoes but it was like just the way that he interacted with his environment and in this Mm. game where you'd think they would have more fidelity for that kind of stuff they'd be able to play with the the physics of the game a bit more they've actually taken bigger shortcuts than they did in the old game they've made his like the way his model interacts with the world is like the base has an oval which is the reason it slips around so much because there's it doesn't have a static flat base to interact oh. with like the floor something something strange like that Did it's they... like why why would they make it harder by virtue yeah. of the design of the game it makes no sense to me have they made it harder on purpose because <laughs> i don't think so i gather that it's <laughs> it's just, just something like, that just uh, happened just yeah yeah a simple way to like um simplify the the, the physical modeling of the game mm. That's what I. That's what I heard at the time. I haven't read up yeah. on it since. But. I mean, I can't like. I don't know how I did. I managed to do what I did when I was a kid on that game. Like, I, like, I think part of it's like you're younger, so you have better reflexes and also more patience, or just more yeah. more time to be more patient. Because I remember like sitting through games and like, if there was like, for example, if there was a four, this is an example, like a four a four digit combination lock. I would be the person who'd be like, fuck it, I don't have the guide and I'm supposed to figure it out like myself, but I can't be asked. So I'll go through every iteration. I'll do it the, you know, the, the long, long winded way. And mm. I don't think I could do that now. And I think it's part of that same oh, yeah. mentality of like, I would, yeah. when I was a kid, I'd be able to bash my head against a brick wall and like do it through persistence. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I remember, I remember spending like whole, whole evenings or whole weekend mornings, like four or five hours on a single stage on a game with my brother like sat side by side like ripping the pad out of each other's hands going it's my turn i want to have a go at this like getting <laughs> angrier and angrier because we couldn't do it to the yeah. point where my brother would like tear his shirt off and send me out of the room <laughs> he would just like <laughs> he like take his shirt off like get pumped and ready to ready to like finish this level on some platform like croc or something and he's like you need to leave the room i can't concentrate if you're in the room and i'd have to so, wait outside the door and try and listen through the door to see if he managed to do it or not you know that's the funniest <laughs> thing i've heard all day <laughs> <laughs> i just imagine you with your back against the door like hit like curled up with your arms around your knees just hitting your head against the back of the door <laughs> like, will I, you, when will you let me back in I well i just i just used to listen for it and then he just like he got i've done it and then i'd be allowed back in again you know like i cannot relate to any of this <laughs> that's how that's how hardcore it used to get in our house with stuff like that <laughs> i broke a bed once because i successfully did something on a video game like i um uh, how? I can't, oh like because it's a it was a wooden yeah, bed I. frame it was a wooden <laughs> yeah. bed frame and i i 
I can't remember what I what I did or how I managed it, but I was like that pleased with myself. I literally leapt into the air and like kind of like frog splashed the bed. I was like, yes. And then like <laughs> I <laughs> snapped one of the slats on it or something like that. Like and then ended up like be like, oh shit, I've just like literally destroyed the bed kind of thing. <laughs> but yeah. So Leon, oh, be, what have you been up to lately? Oh, to be 10 again. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely haven't been smashing beds. <laughs> Unlucky. Uh, um, I don't know. What, what the hell have I been doing? I went to a gig recently. I saw um, Res MC. So if you're aware of um, the actor uh, Riz Ahmed, a British actor, you've probably seen a bunch of Hollywood films and TV now. Um, he also um, does music. Um, so I uh, saw him in, in Shoreditch uh, the other day, and that was really good. Um, and then apart from that, I saw Widows recently, the uh, new Steve uh, McQueen film, uh, which is also really good. That That is a film where if you look at the sort of credits, everyone on there is, is, is good. And they they do uh, bring their their A game to this project, and it's um, it's quite nice um, having um, such like art talent and like like worthy like talent um, do, uh, doing something a bit more genre, a more of a sort of drama thriller slash caper, um, and it's it's really. It's really fun to see that because um, uh, I think what you the benefit you get of that having like a quote unquote popcorn film with like um, like really good everything like writers, directors, and actors and everything else, cinematographers and such is that and then you get a, a much more rich film. So while um, it's it's not um, sort of a drama like oscar bait thing and in in the normal sense you get a movie uh, a genre movie which is actually trying to say a lot of uh, interesting things and i think um some of the problem we get with uh, a lot of uh, say like action movies also or just other popular movies they're not really trying to say anything they're just trying to get you to the next um spectacle scene Mm. Uh, and it, it's nice um i mean we get we get more and more examples of this happening but um this is a very like hyperbolic um uh, example of it um it's, it's really nice to have uh these more straightforward genre movies but having actually having a take on stuff and um sort of digging into some uh important important issues without really stopping the film or to preach at you or anything so like that that's quite uh good and i'm hoping for uh more of that going mm. forward yeah that's oh. a fantastic movie and like it's such a high caliber like cast and production crew mm. one thing i forgot to mention actually i checked out the new she-ra oh cool yeah on netflix yeah i actually i really like it it's, it's kind of cool um yeah i've only seen the first episode but it's really cool i really like it i like the style like I, I love i love the style actually i love what they've done with it it's great and i'm actually you know off the back of this i'd love a reboot of he-man in the same style hmm 
Yeah, I never really got into He Man, but that would be I'd like to see it modernized in the same way that she yeah. has been. Like I, I watched the same first only the first episode so far. Yeah. But like I'm digging the characters. I think like maybe I was I was a little bit underwhelmed because I have this thing where because it's been so voiced on the internet as like Yeah. There's been a lot of pushback and whatever whatever, whatever. And I built it up in my head as being like this grand like I don't know, I think I want everything to be like Avatar, you know, where it looks mm. childish but it's actually quite grown up and adult. And I think I was expecting that from She-Ra a little. And it's, I I don't, it's not really, at least not in the first episode, but that's my failing to have yeah. that expectation of it. And no, it's, I, yeah. w- when I was thinking about it, it's, it's actually just like a fun romp with like really fun yeah. characters. And I don't, I don't understand any of the negativity. I think it looks great. I, I don't, I'm going to yeah. keep watching it, I think. I don't, I don't get the negativity about it. And I don't, I don't get why, I mean, like, <sighs> I mean, I don't, I don't get the expectation in... either because I know that it's a cartoon and it was designed for kids, and that's the whole point of it. That's what that's what it was originally. That's what it is now. It's not for people of our generation, really, but we're just enjoying it anyway. You know, we're along for the yeah. ride. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. Um, yeah, and I don't want to go. I don't want to like yeah. dive into the negativity that, like, the other negativity that we're hearing on the no, no, because that's like, just, I... that doesn't deserve any air at all. But. Yeah, I I think the style is super cool. Um, yeah, I I really like how colorful it is. I like all the character designs. I like Catra. She's this cool cool character. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I want to watch more. I think. Yeah. And no. uh, if I can dive back into what Leon was saying yeah. about yeah. um Riz Ahmed, because because I was at the gig with him. Um, and like, Riz Ahmed has been a a person who's like, how. If I look back on the last couple of years and I pick out all like you know the, some of the positive moments and some of the cool things that made me like you know made my heart swell or made me squee like made me fanboy, he's been a part of like a good handful of them. Um, so like if I can just rattle off a few, so he was in the Hamilton mixtape. He had a he had a track on that which was amazing. He was in Rogue One, which was so cool to see him you know being a part of. And the thing that was the closest to me was when um, Hassan Minaj did. Uh, did a piece or did a portion of the writing for episode episode issue number 31 of Ms. Marvel. Um, there was a conversation afterwards that uh, Riz Ahmed and Mindy Kaling and um, Kumail Nanjani were having about, you know, potentially also writing for a, like a script for Ms. Marvel and just hearing him bring that conversation together was amazing. And like, he's been a part of so many cool things that have, you know, I've had highlighted to me. So I just wanted to, to shout that out and seeing him on stage was a delight like he was a he's a great guy i love what he says i love how he sings i, I thought it was an amazing concert mm. yeah um there was a, some musical stuff that i wanted to check out this week but i didn't get the chance to which was a bit annoying but yeah it was cool no um speaking of musical stuff um i'm gonna dive in and just open up with my first comic um and that will be Murder Falcon. Uh, so I just, I mean, like I've talked at length about Murder Falcon on a previous episode anyway, but I I just wanted to bring it back up again because I have issue two now and issue two is just as good and just as loud and just as wailing and there's just as much whammy bar and like everything about it is just, just as awesome basically. And it's still, it's still something that brings a smile to my face and, you know, kind of like some somewhere to go basically kind of helps you deal with the world sort of thing and it's kind of cool um and i love like 
the some of the interaction between some of the characters in this book and some of the conversations and how positive it is just just how positive this whole book this this this, this story is shaping up to be and you know a, about the healing and positive power of music and how that can you know how music can help you deal with things and and it's just great and obviously as i mentioned before like daniel warren johnson's art and writing in this is fantastic um if you want to go back to the previous episode i think it's about three episodes ago now because we did like a did a couple over halloween didn't we so it's like three episodes ago that we talk about murder falcon but damn yeah this book and um the other reason i'm bringing this up again actually is because i wrote a letter um to the creators of murder falcon and it was printed in the back of murder falcon number two and um it just gives you an idea of of kind of how i feel about this book really if i read this letter out so what i put um i'm just bringing it i'm just getting it up now actually i can read it so hi i just had to tell you all how much i enjoyed the first issue of murder falcon every second of this comic spoke to me like a primal uplifting sky tearing guitar solo metal music has been a large part of my life for the past 20 years i'm 31 and comics have been there for longer both metal and comics have seen me through some tough times and given me either a place to escape to or a torch in the darkness on many occasions. Seeing the two collide in such a beautiful way is an absolute joy. I cannot wait for issue two. I truly believe that metal could have the power to save the world. I also appreciate the little Transformers nod with the name of Jake's band. So Jake's band in the book is called Bruticus and I'll come to that a bit more in a minute. Uh, if I'm right and totally not barking up the wrong tree. Bruticus. I had three parts of Bruticus as a kid. Brawl, Swindle and Blastoff. Thanks again for a wonderful comic, Greg. And uh, the reply I got was, Greg, so glad this book resonated with you. Really was my goal to somehow translate the joy of making and listening to music through a, two, through a 2D comic page. So your comments mean a lot. And you ain't wrong about the band. Don't tell Hasbro. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty cool. Um, and uh, actually, Bruticus are a real band. And you can go to Bandcamp and it's Daniel Warren Johnson and um, some other... Because he's actually a musician himself plays guitar so this is like his band and if you go to bruticus.bandcamp.com you can listen and for each issue of um murder falcon i think they're going to release a track like alongside each issue and uh yeah issue two is great it's just basically them starting to get the band together kind of thing and murph or murder falcon is helping jake do that helping jake get his band back together and you know there are more magical instruments that in this one we we see a bass guitar that summons a giant mammoth that just crushes everything and i think i think a, a, a mastodon in fact actually not a mammoth it's a mastodon and i think i think a a creature like that like so, so huge and powerful is totally the best way to represent bass guitar and bass in metal these crushing like steamroller like rhythms in the backdrop of you know whatever you're listening to yeah, I can't think of a better way. I think I'm, I think Mastodon is the is the best animal to represent that, and I I love it so much. Yeah, it's great. And on top of that, um, one of the th- one of the highlights of this one for me as well actually was the fact that uh, the um, the bassist Johan he uh, he wears a battle jacket, which is a denim jacket without sleeves, covered in metal patches for the uh, uninitiated. And um, on the back of his battle jacket, he's got a chemist patch and a pelican patch. And I just like, I spotted that and I was like, chemist, yes. He's a chemist fan, but yeah, that's, uh, that's enough rocking out from me anyway. That, that was my little bit of murder falcon that I wanted to talk about. 
Um, you said you said so many words that I didn't understand in that. <laughs> <laughs> but you're gonna have to link me to some like Spotify playlists for the music you just mentioned. Yeah, yeah. I think I think um, I'm not. Well, I can. There's obviously the Bandcamp link, but I think I don't know if there's some Spotify. Um, I mean, like obviously there's the stuff I listen to, and there's two playlists I've made mm-hmm. that have got a lot of that kind of stuff on. Um, which was the I made a place for Halloween that's got a bit of that on. Uh, Afterlife Comicals on Spotify, and then I've my uh, Cosmic Ghost Rider playlist, which is still there. Um, yeah, we'll, which, we'll link both of those in the in the show yeah, notes. Yeah, and that's kind of got some of this stuff on as well. But yeah, I mean, I might make one for Murder Falcon as well. I know there's probably already <laughs> a lot of them knocking about because the whole theme of the book is music and, and metal music. But yeah, I could. But yeah, it's it's great, and it it's it's a great thing for me. I love this book. Um, Ray, you want to go next? Uh, sure, I can do. Um, so I picked up a book called Graffiti's Wall. Um, writing is by Ram V. Art is by Anand Radhakrishnan. Letters by Aditya Bidika. Uh, colours Jason Werdy and Irma Nivella, I think. Um, so Graffiti's Wall is a book which follows the lives of four young people living in a chawl, which is like a, a dense urban housing um, in Mumbai. And it's a book about displacement, both urban and mental, I guess. And it's an ever-present undercurrent to the stories that we're told in this book. So uh, initially we follow Graffiti, a.k.a. Suresh, who's an artist or a graffiti artist who compulsively tags his stunning artwork onto the build- in- onto the walls of buildings that are uh, no doubt destined to be destroyed. Um, and he's caught by the cops and bailed out by his friend Jay, or a.k.a. Jayish, um, a rapper who runs drugs to make ends meet. Um, and then we also follow a boy called uh, Chasma, although I'm, which means glasses in Hindi. Though I'm not sure we ever actually find out his real name. Um, he's a sensitive writer who came to Mumbai specifically to like lose himself in anonymity. Uh, and a girl called Saira, who's an aspiring actress um, who's trapped by her reliance on mob money, much like Jay is. Um, and these stories converge and diverge from the titular graffiti's wall, which is the solitary remnant of um, like a raised slum uh, destroyed to make way for developments. So the book, um, like the book, depicts sprawl and destruction really well, um, and it re- roots its characters in the environment really effectively. Um, so there's a great use of like organic line work to depict debris and like clutter in the world, and there's this looseness and irregularity and like. I guess, like, over-definition of certain features of the characters, uh, which can almost make them blend into the really busy environments. And one thing I really liked about the illustration and, like, colouring in this book is... So, illustration and colouring by Anand Radhakrishnan and Jason Wadi um, is this mix of, like, loose and rigid texturing. So the characters are often filled with black ink, but they're filled imperfectly by hand, where you can see the slight gaps between, you know, the pen strokes. Um, and while also being draped in flat colours. And the city itself is drawn in both scratchy straight lines, but also roughed edges, and everything's, like, worn and aged and scarred by overuse, and it really comes off the page really effectively. And there's a particular texture, like, this is just picking up one thing that I liked. So there's a particular texture that's used repeatedly, which looks like uh, like a rough textile, and it's all, like, perpendicularly tightly woven straight lines with the occasional imperfection, and it reminds me of like medical bandages and it's strewn throughout the world, like constantly throughout the entire book as though it's keeping everything sort of bound together. And I just, I really liked some of those kind of touches. Um, and so the colors by Jason Wadi are an absolute delight. There's a lot of 
really great decisions made in like depicting crowds against buildings and like shading panels uh, i guess like linearly so that the bottom of an image is more intense than the top which you know sort of gets suffused and washed away um and there must have been some really good communication between the colorist and the artist there's lots of like like flat colors um you know filling this like block of space but accentuated by textures to like deliver impact on specific scenes or specific panels and there's instances where the flat colors really pop off the page on their own or they're speckled very lightly with you know graininess and like i guess i don't want to fall too far into cliche but it does a lot of great work in expressing like the vibrancy and heat of a city like mumbai there's a lot of like this is where I'm worried about using cliches, but there's a lot of like earthy tones in contrast with pastels, as if everything's sort of affected by sun damage. And it feels that even though it looks cartoonish, there's a very real sense of place coming off of it. And I haven't even mentioned like um, graffiti's or Suresh's graffiti style, uh, which stands in contrast to the already quite artistic depiction of the world that he inhabits in the book. Like we see his wall that he tags evolve with each new story that we read. And like how the circumstances of his environment informs how he tags his environment and, you know, that conversation he's having with his surroundings. And it's a really beautiful and messy and tortured and sort of transient way to depict his need to express himself through his artwork. And like in the same way, the the flow of the story never lets up. Um, Like having been to Mumbai, uh, I guess, a handful of times quite, you know, when I was quite young and most recently, like I think six, seven years ago. And I can say that the the overwhelming amount of motion on the page really accurately reflects the pace of that city like it's just it's just too much sometimes like not only in the lines of motion of action within the panels but the panel construction itself so the structure is constantly changing and like it it mostly sticks to hard edged gutters which change you know uh, page to page change in their shape and size and you know relative relative size um but they, there is the occasional breakthrough such as like Suresh's hand coming out of a panel holding a can of spray paint or a bottle being casually thrown out of a window into a canal and the splash of that water intrudes on the neighboring image and like and when these objects in the frame aren't directly breaking through these walls there are some really genius moments of i guess i think we've described it as like match cuts previously like to take cinema nomenclature but like moments of objects in one panel matching the action of a different object in another panel such as like the debris from a raised slum raining down um into the next panel which is you know transforms into torn pages scattering in the wind and like speaking of pages um i should mention the lettering um by aditya vidikar which is ever present as the narration from the different kids that we follow and in particular one chapter which i really liked which is narrated as excerpts from a series of letters which the character is writing um which reads differently to the speech bubbles both in the lettering and the actual voice like the actual text that uh, ram has written and he does a great job of like giving everyone a very different voice and i particularly like like chasma's style as a lonely romantic and somewhat overly verbose aspiring writer and like I don't know if you can tell, like, I'm quite taken with this book. When it when my opinions come so free-flowing, I think that's an expression of just how good the work that I've read is. Because um, yeah. it means they've done all the hard lifting and I just have to say what I'm feeling instead of having to search for those feelings. I, I really enjoyed this book. Um, and, yeah, I, I think everyone should give it, give it a look. It's, you know, it's it's a story about how the world 
will find there's going to be people in the world and the environment itself trying to find ways to kill your dreams and it's about overcoming that and not letting not letting the world kill your dreams and it's i thought it was despite the setting being quite depressing is not the right word but being quite oppressive i think it's quite a hopeful story at the end of it and i think it's i think it's really worth a read so that's uh, graffiti's wall indeed and uh, i think i'll have to check that out now <laughs> mm. definitely leon been reading anything i have i read the first issue of bitter root uh which is uh from image comics so this is it's a book created by um chuck brown david f walker and sanford green um it's written by uh brown and walker uh art is done by green uh color is done by rico renzi um and and Sanford Green. Uh, letterer and production is uh, Clayton Cowles. And um, I think the main cover I have is the Sanford Green one. And editing's done by Heather Antos. But um, this, um, I'll, I'll read what the what the premise is, which is easier way to describe it. But um, so the. The, the text they have on like one of the first pages, which sort of explains what the book's about. Um, it uh, Since the dawn of civilization, a great evil has plagued humanity. It has taken many forms and gone by different names. The demon, the monster, the jinju, uh, sorry, the jinu. No matter the name, the result has always been the same. The corruption of human souls... I'm sorry, the corruption of human souls. For generations, the Sangurai family has fought to save uh, and purify the souls of the Jinnu, who are humans consumed by hate, affected by evil, and transformed into monstrous creatures. The Sangurais thought they were winning the war. They were wrong. So, yeah, as it states, uh, the comic centers um, on um, the Sangurai family, um, who basically are mon- monster hunters, but also uh, they like they transform the monsters back. So um, people are being fe- infected in this 1920s in Harlem, so it's during the Renaissance, uh, and people are being like uh, infected basically by uh, hate-filled monsters, and then they are turned in- into into monsters. So what this family is, is charged with doing is uh, obviously behind uh, and under the veil of night and uh, behind closed doors, etc. Uh, get, getting getting to these people and then curing them. And the part of the cure is what the title refers to. Um, as it, it comes from it's um, a concoction created from um, from a root. So yeah, that's the basic premise, um, and yeah, it's I, it's it's quite a good first issue. Um, I'd say that what first stands out and uh, sort of grabs your attention is uh, Saffron Gre- uh, Green's um, art, um, it, as as normal for him. If you've read anything like um, Power Man and Iron Fist. Um, like he's really good at uh, expression, um, 
uh, so like different characters. They, the like his character design is really really cool because um, you you. I think he gets to play around with like um, expressions and uh, like facial tics, um, but also. Uh, like a level of uh, like cartoony realism to some of the characters, so they they all have these really cool individual uh, looks to them, um, and I, th- I think it's um, in in a way sort of some of his art is uh, taken back or reclaiming sort of the the diversity of design in especially like because all the all these. Um, that the main family are like an African American family, um, and it's 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 cool to see like um, uh, characters drawn with like fuller lips and and wider noses, but it not looking like um, like caricature or like uh, like uh, racially uh, looser and sensitive as, as we've had in, in the past or in in other depictions, and, and it's quite it's quite cool because you get with that you get. Um, quite a diversity of color uh, with 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 um, all all these characters and their locations, and it is an image book, so there is uh, some really nice uh, purple infusion, which is early on, which I, as you know me, uh, you're quite like. But um, beyond that, I think it uses color um, in a really really um, smart and cool way um, to do to uh, sort of mood set and and depict tone in in a really uh, cool way because i mean essentially this book is like sort of alternative past or something alternative history but not 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 really it's just that they, they've got access to technologies that they don't so it's it's along the ideas of like blah blah punk um and i, I don't know if this would be like renaissance punk or uh like I don't know, uh, retro ash, Afrofuturism. Um, later in the book, there's a writer who who um, uh, mentions the term ethnogothic, and and that <laughs> does seem to um, to map uh, well with the the concept. But yeah, the like the the main uh, sort of conflict of the first uh, issue is that. Um, so of the family that we meet so far, there's their uh, their grandma, uh, and she's the one who uh, does most of the, the the science and stuff with in terms of making the antidote that um, changes the monster people back into the humans they were. And um, she's having discussions with um, the main female character, who is her um, granddaughter, uh, called Blink. And Blink is. Um, your sort of I don't want to take this sitting down female protagonist in the case of like I want to be up there doing the fighting instead of doing this and um they do have some really uh, cool conversations about about that and you can see sort of the the core push and pull it isn't just a t- uh, really stereotypical thing about uh, uh this is that's men's work and you're doing women's work there are like really interesting reasons behind some of the um uh some of the decisions or like sort of stubborn stances that um, some of the characters have and then meanwhile you have um cullen and berg 
Um, and so I believe Cullen is like the youngest and he's really bad at um, doing the subduing of the monsters. And they, they use this like cool sort of tech where they have like these power gloves that are powered by um, a backpack that they, they wear in, in a sort of weird ghostbustery way. Um, and there's, they also have like a staff, which is um, at the moment magic. <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure on, on its full properties, but it, it does seem to be quite badass. Um, and he's he's te- he's terrible. Um, and th- th- at the same time that they're having, he's fighting this monster on the roof. Um, uh, you have um, Berg, who is. Um, this like really um, <clears throat> like he's like just this badass character. I believe he is um, his brother or cousin, but um, he is like tried and tested, this massive like this badass dude who's just sitting there because it's like you have to do this. Like you're never going to learn if I keep stepping in at the last minute. Um, and what, what I really like about his character is that he is just. Um, He's like ridiculously uh, articulate in in a cool sciencey way, and it's it's quite funny. Um, where it's almost um, frustrating the way how uh, he he uh, will, um, has his dialogue with um, with Cullen, and I, I think that what the book's good at doing early is sort of get, getting to the personality of, sort of these characters without it being too cliche. Um, and um, I think one cool thing with the storytelling is that um, the use of... The, the way the pages are laid out are quite dynamic um, in a way, and you get a lot of cool pages where... So the the main panel at the top has no gutters and it takes over the whole page, but then there are insert panels um, of the action moving on, and I, I think that it's really good for um, sort of keeping up a, a, a kinetic pace, um, but also um, sort of like moving you through the actions um, in in quite quite an efficient quite an efficient way. Um, and yeah, I think uh, one of the initial fears I, I would have with a, a, um, a comic like this is that maybe the theme, or which is is, is really like um, cool and interesting, you don't really get to see this sort of time uh, depicted um, in comic books, and especially not in a sort of fantasy esque way. Um, so um, we we did have the um, the uh, the other books that I spoke about earlier in the year uh, about the Renaissance, which I don't know why I'm dropping the name, but I'll grab it later. But um, yeah, well, what's really cool with this is that you you do normally when you see stories like this, it is um, it it's generally not like um, uh, an African American family um, with with these cool sort of secret history pasts and all that. Um, and so, like that alone uh, makes the conceit quite um, interesting and um, uh, just different to what you've seen. But at the same point, that's not 
the sort of self self focus, um, and I, I think the book gets to have its cake and eat it in the sense that you get in this cool sort of uh, ethno gothic sort of retro Afrofuturism story, but also it's not sort of forgetting um, some of the the realities of the time and that uh, feeds into sort of the main premise which uh, on on first look could seem sort of overwrought in the sense that um, the monsters are fueled by hate and da 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 and, and uh, sort of like racism is the monster but I don't think they're approaching it that simplistically and this is only issue one so um i've got confidence that the that the themes and the sort of metaphors will play out in quite a satisfying way um and there are multi-level tensions um working throughout the book which is um uh quite quite nice to see so um yeah i, I would recommend um Giving the first issue a go, and I'll definitely be checking out the second one. Indeed, yeah, that sounds really cool. I think this was something I mentioned on my poll list um, the other week. I think uh, so. Yeah, yeah but I, I didn't get around to reading it yet, so <laughs> I'm going to have to now. But yeah, that sounded Eth- really good. Ethnogothic um, is one of the coolest things I've heard. <laughs> yeah, that does sound really cool. Um, so what I'm going to do now is um, I'm just going to briefly mention a couple of things that have ended this week that i've been enjoying very much and that is um mentioned earlier in the show cosmic ghost rider has hit issue five and has come to a close now we know that the cosmic ghost rider himself the character is returning in guardians of the galaxy number one which i think is in january um don't quote me on that though uh, and that's going to be donny cates taking the reins of uh, guardians of the galaxy which will be kind of cool. Um, and yeah, I've just it's just been a wild ride start to finish and I've just, I've just enjoyed all of it. Like, the whole thing. Like, it, it's just basically been a little bit of a glimpse into who Frank Castle is. Um, you know, an idea of this, this character, like Frank Castle, has now become an eternal middle finger in the face of all things. <laughs> You know, even after the end of all things, he's still there, still going. This kind of like cosmic force now. But yeah, like like the the eternal middle finger, basically, is what he is now. Hmm. And I just I just love the idea of the character and the way he's done in this book and just like it's still raging on after the end of all things still, you know, it and in the way that he, you know, he's attempting to try and fix everything he's ever done. He's still trying to fix things, even though he can't kind of thing. And he's in trying to fix everything he's ever done. He's also trying to, he thinks that if he can create one, he can, he can, he can correct in commas one thing that, then maybe he can, um, yeah, in speech, correct. Yeah, in speech, speech marks. He think maybe he can correct his own path through that, but it's not 
not quite how it goes, not quite as planned. And it's it's a really good it's a really good five issue arc. And um, when it's collected, I recommend picking it up because it's great. And uh, I'll just rattle off the creative team for that. So that is uh, Donny Cates, Dylan Burnett, Antonio Fabela, uh, Clayton Cowles. Uh, we've also got cover by Jeff Shaw with Antonio Fabela and um, variant covers by uh, Superlog and Ivan Chavarin. Um Editor Jordan D. White, assistant editor Annalise Bisser. Carlos Lau, graphic designer. Um, and yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just been great. Start to finish, it's been fantastic. I've loved it. So that's Cosmic Ghost Rider. And obviously there's the playlist that I've done to go alongside that comic, which is cosmic metal or metal that has a cosmic feel about it. Um, also, the other thing that ended this week, which I'm sure all three of us are quite um, quite sad about, but also at the same time, you know, it's a very good ending. And that is Mr. Miracle, which is now issue 12. So that's 12 parts of Mr. Miracle. And that is King and Jared's Mr. Miracle. That's uh, Tom King and Mitch Jared's. And uh, Clayton Cowles again on that in letters. Um, Colours and variant cover as well by Mitch Gerrards. And yeah, it's just... Yeah, everything everything about this is just fantastic. This ending is great. It's a great way to finish the series. And um, yeah, it's just there's a panel actually where... Uh, Tom King and uh, Mitch Gerrards have kind of put themselves in it, um, but I won't. I won't talk too much about that. They're kind of in the book, um, and actually, just uh, going back to, I mean, like the sort of like sad events of this week with Stanley's passing. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of buzz about this uh, this issue particularly because there's quite a nice double panel in there, which um, kind of has been like an unexpected tribute to Stan in a way, because it's the character Funky from Mr. Miracle, which is was kind of Jack Kirby's caricature of Stan, basically, that he put into the comics. <laughs> um, and he's sitting there with Jake, who is Mr. Miracle's son, and uh, he says... He's like, they're sitting there playing with a bunch of action figures, and uh, it's got uh, Funky saying, with great power comes great responsibility, and Jake just kind of like making a noise in agreement, because I don't think he's like able to make full words properly yet. But uh, it's just a really nice little thing and a really cool moment um, in the ending of what has been a really cool series. And I guess we're going to talk at length about Mr. Miracle when we do another show, maybe in the future, where we get to do a proper deep dive when you guys have caught up. Yeah, when we're all in sync, I'd like yeah. to have a, a good long chat about that. I think I need to reread the entire twelve-issue run from yeah. start to finish again, just yeah. to to get it all set mm. in my head because it's been a long, it's been a long year and a bit, or however long it's been since it it started publishing. Well, twenty eighteen's so. been at least three years, so <laughs> yeah, it's been a long, it's been a long <laughs> year. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'll go through the entire thing in time for the next recording. Yeah, so uh, now on to the final comic I think we're going to talk about today, which is one that I picked up called Outer Darkness. Now, this one, um, straight away, you look at the cover and uh, you get Star Trek vibes. But Star Trek through the lens of cosmic horror. And also, um, there's a little bit of like... um, 
historical nautical fiction in there as well, which I'll go into later, like in the way that it's all laid out and set up. And uh, you just get like instantly, it just hits you in the face when you look at this cover. You've got Outer Darkness in this kind of like um, yellow retro Star Trek-y font kind of like that kind of like it's got that feel about it that definite feel and then you uh you see the ship design on the front there and it's kind of like this um kind of like headshots and and bust shots shall we say of like head and shoulders of some of the crew and then we've got like around that we've got like the mouth of this 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 beast this kind of like cosmic god beast thing with like millions of teeth and eyes and stuff and it's just like yeah screams greg um and it's all in black and like kind of like various shades of green and it's just yeah it's this is what i was going to actually say to you leon it's an image book that doesn't have too much purple and fuchsia going on what the fuck yeah this is all about this is all about black and green okay i can do it yeah um like yeah so it's 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 a break (laughs) from the usual image uh the usual image fair so it's cosmic horror kind of in the it's kind of like a trip through the underworld um which i'll come to a bit more later um so the whole the whole thing with this book i i guess i'm better off just reading out the blurb um because this will describe it better than i ever could the story is described as sci-fi horror and involves captain joshua rigg of the starship sharon in a future where humans have colonized the galaxy however mystery and horror wait as the sharon encounter demonic possessions hauntings and cosmic horror as they bark on a desperate rescue mission into the outer darkness of space where everything wants to kill them now the name the name of this book outer darkness actually comes from the biblical term outer darkness which is referenced in the book actually um it's actually quoted um from matthew and it's uh, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in the place uh, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth so that's like the sort of biblical outer darkness, which I think has been interpreted as a description of hell at points. But in this, it's used to describe a an area of space that is inhabited by cosmic hellions and gods and demons and ghosts and God knows what else. And these guys are going to go there. So um, we'll rat- rattle through the credits. We have the creator-writer John Lehman, um, also creator-artist Afu Chan, um, letterer Pat Brosso, um, editor John Moison. Uh, Afu Chan is the color, uh, cover artist. He also does colours on there as well. And uh, logo designed by uh, Andre Huare and um, Katarina Taylor did production design for this. So as soon as you open it, we're kind of like thrust into this sort of like um, shit's going down situation, you know, like first officer on the bridge. Everything's going to crap. People are being possessed. There's, you know, like they've encountered this like cosmic ghost storm, like an asteroid belt type thing. And it's got this very Star Trek feel about it. You know, like when things go wrong on Star Trek and it's kind of just like all everything everything that happens all the drama is happening on the bridge and you get to see that how they make decisions and how they deal with it and everything else um and there's just these great moments where like characters are possessed and they're like vomiting like is that spirit is it sludge i don't know but it's cool and uh, <laughs> it's just it everything about it is just pandemonium straight up and it's great uh and it's a great way to open the book it's a really nice action packed 
like slap to the face to sort of give you this um this introduction to two of the well the two sort of like main main characters which are captain joshua rig and uh his buddy agwe who i get kind of like queequeg vibes from him you know kind of like queequeg in uh um moby dick moby dick that's it yeah <laughs> couldn't think of the name of the book for a second there but yeah he's he's kind of like kind of gives off like queequeg vibes in his character design and everything else in the way he is uh which is kind of cool and that's what i mean by like the way they play this out in this kind of like historical nautical fiction type way with um the way they do some of the uniforms and things like that like some of the character designs and how everything is it's like star trek but it's also got like a level of that about it as well um like this kind of like historical nautical seafaring framework but built with space lego if that makes sense if that's that's like the best way i could think to describe it earlier and it just works really well um and like there's some really awesome demon garden ghost designs and africhan's artwork has this great kind of like analog warmth about it in the way he uses the colors and everything else it just it just screams kind of like old school animation and it's just got that kind of air about it with like bold lines and warm and, and just feels warm when you look at it like the there's this like texture that runs through the colors that he puts on everything that just gives it this kind of like analog feel and it's just great um another another really cool thing about this book is the level of um kind of like representation and diversity among the cast it's great like um it does this thing that 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 sci-fi tends to do really well in that it has people of all walks of life all races all colors and everything else and all religions and brings them all together under one unified goal which i quite like about a lot of sci-fi and this does that really well as well so that's a cool thing that this book does and um it, this book does it nicely as well like it's it's quite a cool quite a cool way to do it yeah, and the artwork to try and describe it in a way that kind of makes sense. It, it doesn't feel too clean or look overly flat or polished, even though the overall designs are fairly simple with bold lines. And that works really nicely to give it this kind of like this. It kind of like roots it in its its old school sci-fi Star Trek beginnings, like the soil that I, I'm sure this came from, along with a lot of other influences. And um yeah it's just everything about that is just it just sets it up perfectly and there's some really cool dynamic panels in here as well um especially at the beginning which is like uh, a a mutiny without spoiling too much and uh there's some really nice work concerning like full pages and like establishing shots to use cinematic vernacular i guess uh of like showing you what the ship is dealing with and how uh you know these these this area of outer space how what outer space is and uh outer darkness even sorry what the outer darkness kind of is and there's like these kind of like um nasty looking beings like highlighted in kind of like this unearthly blue glow like flinging asteroids at the ship and things like that and it's just um it's just great for that in the way that it gets that across in the way that it kind of fuses the cosmic horror into the sci-fi in such a way to the point that the ships are powered by these things 
like the engines of the ships it's not it it's less science and more like arcane shit you know it's great for that and i was just like from start to finish this like this whole book like the way it gets across the scale of space and the scale of the ship compared to like the the crew and everything else and just everything about it in this kind of like bsg star trek way like bsg for the grittiness i guess and star trek for the the kind of the way that they do you know like starfleet command and everything else but also with a lot more a lot more rooted in kind of like old nautical references and things like that in the way that the the, the way that the uniforms kind of look the way that captains dress and things like that and the way that um the way that this feels like it's got like a real Moby Dick streak running through it. And I think that's going to be like the hook of the book actually, like towards the end. Because it feels like our guy has got like a bit, our guy Joshua Rigg has got a bit of Ahab going on. Um, I mean, we don't know too much about it yet, but there's kind of like some leanings towards that. Like he's going into the outer darkness to retrieve one thing. Um, another thing I really enjoyed about it was naming the ship the Charon. Um, after kind of like the mythical ferryman that would guide souls into hell. The idea of the Sharon being the ship, the vessel that guides these these souls into the outer darkness, the outer darkness being hell, you know? It's just it's just great how, how this whole thing comes together and is just a fantastic book to read and it was something that I really enjoyed and I think a lot of you guys would enjoy it as well. So definitely recommend you pick up and read that. Um, that is uh, Out of Darkness on Image Comics, and uh, yeah, that sounds that sounds great. I'll definitely be checking that out. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, you should. Um, and I, I yeah, I wanted you guys to check it out before this cast actually because I wanted to be able to bounce off you guys about it. But it's really good. You'll love it definitely. Um, so I think that wraps us up for comics to talk about. Unless anybody else has got anything else they want to mention before we go. Not that I've read recently, no, no, not for now. I think um, we, I, I don't want to speak too much Philly on, but I think I was going to try and read Life is Strange, and I believe he was too, but I didn't get round to doing that. Um, so hopefully for the next cast, I'll be able to have some thoughts on that one. Yes. Yeah, I have Life is Strange. I, um, I just uh, haven't, uh, didn't get to read it in time. I think I remember like when you guys were telling me that they were doing a comic for Life is Strange. I'm like, I haven't even played it yet. Does that make me a bad person? you know yes obviously. <laughs> i would agree <laughs> there's well, a lot because, of things i haven't played but yeah well i i had it come to my attention when we were at thought bubble and the cover was a uh, emma vicelli's panel uh stand i believe because she did she did the writing for it um but she had the yeah she had the front cover on her on her artwork table um but yeah it just looks amazing i love that that front cover and i love those characters and i love the world and i love that game so yeah i should really get yeah. to it it's gonna be weird to talk about that one because i mm. think inherently the book is set after the end of the first game but we'll see what happens i heard it was a prequel to the game to the first game so i like set, set in between before the storm and life is strange one but i could be wrong it's just what i had an inkling of i hope so but the cover doesn't doesn't apply uh, that, does it? that. <laughs> yeah <laughs> we'll find out i guess <laughs> yeah um to uh is is it does it kind of just like assume you've played the games in this book we I don't know ass- yeah yeah we don't know but i would assume I, yeah. i'd assume you'd have to play the games to to care about these characters i guess aye, aye. um 
so i mean yeah i mean i can't speak for anybody that will be listening but for me i'm not too precious about spoilers for this so i'll let you guys just like (laughs) yammer away but i mean for anybody else um i don't know (laughs) we'll decide when it comes to the time how on the download we're going to keep that but yeah um so i guess that moves us on to the pull list for the next two weeks so things that we might be picking up um that's on the 25th that'll be the 21st of november which is when this podcast released and also the following which will be wednesday the 28th so this is what you can what you can be looking out for on ncbd if these sound like your thing these are things that i've picked out that kind of piqued my interest um that i thought are pretty cool that we might talk about on the next show um so or we might talk about a couple of them at least uh the first one I'm going to kick off with comes out November 21st, and that is Middle West number one. And this is a new one on Image Comics. Uh, blurb for this one. Um, the land, the lands between the coast are vast, slow to change, and full of hidden magics. Mistakes have been made, and in this new ongoing series, an unwitting adventurer searches for answers to quell a coming storm that knows his name. So this is from Scotty Young of I Hate Fairyland and Deadpool. And uh, Jorge Corona, who did number one for a bullet, uh, number one with a bullet, sorry, and uh, Feathers and Big Trouble in Little China, Old Man Jack. Uh, it comes. It's a tale of uh, Abel, a young boy who must navigate an old land in order to reconcile his family's history. And uh, I'm assuming from the looks of it, it's set in the American Midwest. And um, there's a lot going on on that cover. We've got um, a fox... Uh, a kid kind of standing there looking pretty pretty pensive and forlorn um a pink broken heart kind of just like sitting in front of him this like beautiful background that's like really nicely painted in with this like this storm looking pretty menacing in the background with kind of like bright eyes and a mouth like almost jack-o'-lantern-esque um kind of brewing up and kind of like reaching out for him and the whole thing just looks pretty pretty interesting to me so i figure i might check that out and see how that goes um the next one that i had on my list was another new one these are all number ones this one's called american carnage and this is on vertigo a new thrilling crime saga from the writer of wildstorm my uh michael cray and the artist of old guard uh, disgraced FBI agent Richard Wright is offered a chance for redemption when his old mentor sends him undercover to infiltrate a white supremacist group believed to be responsible for the death of a fellow agent. So that sounds kind of that that sounds something kind of thought provoking, something that um, I might want to pick up. Was Vertigo are kind of going in that direction? Um, I've noticed like their their books are getting a bit more kind of like um, like they're trying to tackle these issues head on which is kind of cool it's like like dc's way of doing that um so that might be something that's interesting to look in on that's american carnage number one we've got brian hill writer uh cover artist ben oliver leandro fernandez artist and um rafael albuquerque as a variant cover artist the next one for the 21st is one that i thought might have interested you ray uh sukiban turbo number one which is on IUW Comics. And um, this kind of hooked me in because it's kind of inspired by Japanese girl gangs of the 1970s. Sold. Yeah. 
Um, Shelby and her three best friends rule the streets of Brooklyn and everyone in the neighborhood knows not to mess with the Sukiban tribe. Inspired by the Japanese girl gangs of the 1970s, the teenagers ride scooters armed with golf clubs and cash from selling drugs um, and terrorize their classmates, parents and anyone who dares defy them. But when they attack a classmate who hasn't paid what she owes, things start to get messy and not in a fun way. So it's written by uh, Sylvain Runeberg. That is the uh, author of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And it features art by Victor Santos, who did a book called Violent Love. Uh, so that's uh, Sylvian, uh, Sylvain Runeberg, um, Claire Rowe and Victor Santos. Oh, I get the feeling this is going to be an old comic that's been translated from French to English recently, I think. That's the vibe I'm be. getting, just doing quick Googling right yeah. now. It doesn't say that on here when I'm looking at it. Mm. And that's this is the extent to what I know about it like the blurb mm. that i found but that's yeah i mean it looks kind of cool yeah interesting yeah and uh, the last one for that week is something called night moves so this is noir meets horror as a small-time vegas hustler chris dundee finds himself tangled in a web of danger and the occult he's been on the wrong end of a pair of brass knuckles plenty of times but this time he might be dealing with the devil himself special extra long first issue at a regular price from the mind of vj boyd co-executive producer of swat and producer of justified comes a fantastic new noirish tale and that's vj boyd writer chris burnham cover artist and clay mccormack is the artist on the uh the interior and um i'm interested in this um from the, the like this this whole occult angle that it seems to have um and uh it just it just looks very um like they've gone for this old school horror comic font on the front cover of it and everything this is on idw as well and this is this is something that that definitely interests me that i might i might i might uh, give it a go and tell you guys what i think next time so ray uh what have you got on the 21st so i've got one very light one and one very heavy one so um for the 21st spider-man enter the spider-verse number one Literally only picking it up because of its connection to the um, Into the Spider-Verse movie that's going to be coming out in December. Just want to see what it's like. And then the heavy one that um, I'm really keen to pick up is called 24 Panels. It's a trade paperback um, by Image. And so I'll just I'll read the, the blurb from the Image website. So in June 2017, the Grenfell fire killed 72 people in a 24-story tower block in West London. 24 Panels is an anthology comic to support the PTSD needs of the survivors. Curated by Kieran Gillen, who we know as the, you know, the, the creator of The Wicked and the Divine, it features 24 stories, each no longer than 24 panels, half drawn from professional creators who volunteered their time and half drawn from open submissions. 24 Panels is about community, hope, and most of all, raising as much money as possible. Um, like The pedigree of this book is wild there's so many good writers on this like uh, alan moore has done yeah. a, a story for this one i was, I was um, gonna say i'd heard about the alan moore portion because i'd actually mm-hmm. heard about this book and i'd heard about it, it coming out um and that alan moore had done a piece for it which is yeah yeah there's i mean there's some really good artists and writers i don't want to rattle them all off because there's too many to name um but two of them i would say is alan moore and ram v who wrote the story that i mentioned earlier graffiti's wall um and yeah, it's for a good cause. Um, the little I've seen of the inside of this book is stunning and, you know, heavy and emotional. And yeah, I'm I'm very keen. I think excited is the wrong word to use, but I'm very keen to to see what what this book holds. Yes, yeah. it does sound. It sounds quite. Uh, 
quite a um, an important book. Mm. Yeah, so it'd be one to one to put on the list. Um, I also want to mention actually on the twenty first as well. There's the Silver Surfer omnibus, which is the uh, the Allred and Dan Slot stuff, um, which is the stuff I've talked about previously on this cast. So they're bringing out an omnibus edition of it um, next week, which is actually fairly reasonably priced as far as omnibuy go. Uh, omnibuy is that the plural of omnibus? I don't know, um, but it's um, it's something that I'm I'm going to be picking up as well. So I might talk a little bit about that, that next time. Uh, moving on to the 28th, I've only got one, and that is a book called The Warning. Um, it's another image book, um, and this one, so the, the blurb for this one here, it's uh, it, it's all by one man, a, a guy called Edward LaRoche. He's the writer, artist, and cover artist. Um, and uh, the blurb here goes as follows. An enormous machine slowly materialises in a major West Coast city. Who sent it and Why? is a mystery understood only by the malevolent beings gliding silently towards earth through the through the inky vastness of space in response a multinational combat brigade called gladiator 26 is deployed outfitted with next generation military science and weapons they're tasked with stopping any extraterrestrial threat that emerges so um that could be kind of cool that might be one to check out as well that is a new sci-fi book on image and that is called the warning uh ray you got anything for 28th I thought I did, um, but I've just been doing a quick bit of research and I could be wrong. I had John Wick number four down as something coming out on the 28th, but the more I look into it, the less likely that is to actually be coming out because the uh, the date on the Dynamite website itself says just December 2017. Um, so <laughs> that can't be right. Uh, I was The whole point I picked it out is because I picked up John Wick so long ago. And I was hoping that number four had finally come out, but it might not. So let's see what happens yeah. on Wednesday, I guess. It's like following an Archie horror book. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I the, the time I've had to wait to get... I mean, obviously, it's, it's you know, things happen, books get delayed. We understand that. We understand that, you know, stuff like this happens and that we, we have to wait for stuff. It's just mm. being a fan, it's hard to wait, man. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, you know, I get it. I get that deadlines are missed and, and, you know, life happens and gets in the way of this stuff. And it's, it's, you know, it, we want, we, we want the art when it's ready. We're not going to rush the artists. Yeah. I don't mind waiting. I just, it'd yeah. be nice to know what was actually happening. Like if there was a reason for it being delayed or if it was cancelled yeah. or yeah. Know, whatever, but yeah, oh, we'll see. Yeah. Um, so that brings us to the end of the pull list. Uh, Leon, you got anything for the pull list? Anything that you're going to be reading, picking up, doing between? Um, not in particular. I think it might end up being um, a period of catch-up for me, since there's uh, a few things that I missed out on for this episode. But you never know. Yeah, so that has been Ace Comicals episode number 49. Um, you can find us at www.acecomicals.com, where we have links to pretty much everything we do on every platform. So on Twitter, we are at Ace Comicals. On um, Instagram, we are Ace Comicals. On Facebook, you can find us under Ace Comicals. Um, you can find us to listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Castro. Um, 
you can send us questions to acecomicals at gmail.com or you can get in touch with us via the Twitter account, DM us, uh, join the conversation um, and uh, we will respond to your questions. Um, you can find me on Twitter under at Bato, that's B-A-T-T-O-U. Um, you can DM your questions to me as well or um, you can reply to pl- reply to me on, on Twitter and ask us questions and we'll be able to feature that in the next show. Um, Ray, where can we find you? On Twitter at Monkey, M-O-O-N-K-E-H. And Leon, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter uh, at Leon Everett. Um, you can also, if you are so inclined, donate the price of a coffee on our coffee page. All proceeds go to keeping the lights on here at Ace Comicals, i.e. keeping the podcast up. Um just want to mention as well um earlier in the show i mentioned the band camp for uh the murder falcon uh comic there's a, a band camp page for the band bruticus that's b-r-o-o-t-i-c-u-s and it's bruticus.bandcamp.com and uh, that's where you'll be able to find the music to accompany murder falcon uh, and that's uh daniel warren johnson's band so the, the writer and artist for murder falcon has his own thing going on and you should check it out because it's really cool. And that has been Ace Comicals number 49. So Ace Comicals over and out.